This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. He is the director of business operations and the program director here for 900 CHML. He is also a man who, after today, standing outside wearing two shirts down by Hamilton City Hall, weighs about 15 pounds less than he did at the start of the day today. Uh, Jeff Story joins me. Jeff, how are you tonight? Good. How are you, Scott? I'm okay. Congratulations. You pulled it off today. Yeah, it was uh, a significant milestone for the radio station and doing a 12-hour live broadcast downtown in what was, I think, felt about 40 degrees and the heat wasn't necessarily easy, but a big uh, team effort and it went off without a hitch, so I'm, uh, I'm proud of the group. I got to tell you that you had the uh, the truck there, so it wasn't the microphone sitting outside, but when I showed up, I really expected the inside of that truck after... 13 hours or 10 hours, whatever it was, of guests. I really expected it to smell like about 16 types of cologne and meat, and um, it didn't. It was very refreshing in there today. Yeah, not bad. If you're broadcasting <laughs> inside the broadcast truck that uh, is fully equipped with AC, etc. But if you're uh, the boss. Nice, yeah, it was nice inside for uh, the announcers and a lot of the guests <laughs> that were uh, live on location. Uh, for me, who's the... Uh, uh, just the suit, I stand outside and uh, sweat with a whole bunch of people and talk to individuals that uh, spent time uh, out of the day with us, uh, which was uh, which was fun too. But uh, overall, uh, I was happy that we uh, we put it together, and it, uh, it was a great day for uh, CHML and for the community of Hamilton. Who wasn't on the air today? <laughs> yeah, I know. We had a, uh, a vast array of guests today, didn't we, Scott? Uh, everybody from uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau yep. to Canadian icon Don Cherry. Yep. Uh, to the mayor of the morning, uh, Paul Hanover, uh, who made his uh, return to CHML today, was a great guest. Uh, we had NHL Hall of Famer Dave Andrichuk on, uh, producer Daniel Lanois, Russ Jackson. Uh, the list goes on. Yep, yep, on and on and on. It was you know. Now I do know one person who was not on the air today. You. How did you get left off the guest list? <laughs> Well, I guess that's why uh, I'm on with you tonight. All right, all right. I, I was on yesterday uh, with Scott Thompson just after the 12 o'clock uh, noon news, so I got my 15 minutes of fame yesterday, and uh, and here we are again now. But I think they had more important people to talk to uh, today uh, than me, so that's why I was left off the guest list. Well, one of the questions that I heard a number of times today, particularly and almost exclusively with those who have worked here before, whether it was Paul Hanover or Karen Cumming or whoever else, was asking them whether they have a favorite story from their time. Now, you've been here a long time. You must have a story that you tell at cocktail parties that I'm hoping does not involve budget deliberations because that would be just really boring. But you <laughs> you must have some story that you like to tell for people. Uh, well, you I mean, I started at CHML in 1994. So believe it or not, I've been there 23 years now. And I started it as a reporter and as an anchor and became the news director in 2002 and the program director in 2005. So to your point, um, there's lots of stories. And, yeah, the, the stuff in the boardrooms and the budget deliberations, uh, we'll leave those ones aside. <laughs> but some of my best memories were probably just getting to know uh, the entire staff, whether I was a coworker or their boss. And the one person that really stands out for me, to be quite honest, is the late, great Bill Sturrup. Yeah, and course. I know his yeah. name came up on the broadcast several times today. But when I came to CHML as a 21-year-old and really as a rookie reporter that wasn't originally from Hamilton and didn't know my way around, didn't know any of the newsmakers, Bill was the one that really took me under his wing and was not only a good friend but a coach and a mentor, uh, if you will. And he made my first five years at the station um, really, really exciting and easier because when you're coming into a station like CHML and there's a lot of you know, significant broadcasters like titans in the industry working there. And you come in as a 21-year-old, you I mean, it could be, you know, fairly intimidating. But when you're working alongside somebody like Bill, who's so humble and kind and generous with his time, uh, it just made me feel like I was a part of something significant. And I was, and I'm fortunate enough to say that I still am. Well, I, there's a picture that's floating around in the newsroom here at CHML. It's an old poster or a business card or something. I don't even know what, exactly what it is. but And it was you in your early days with Bill and with Ted Michaels and all these guys. And i got to say, um, you somehow, other than losing some world-class sideburns, you look exactly the same. And I don't know how you've done it. You well, and Ted Michaels, um, you and Ted Michaels look the same as you did 20 years ago. I don't know. And and I mean well, I thought I just working with Ted would have stressed you out enough to get looking older. 
Well, how about not, not only working with him, but how about being his boss? That takes it to a whole other level uh, as far as stress and pressure. But uh, uh, thanks for the kind words, Scott. But I can tell you, I, um, I feel a lot older than I did then, despite the fact maybe you don't think I do. Um, <laughs> Got to grow those sideburns back. It's been a, it's been a, real, uh, a real exciting ride, and uh, hopefully there's uh, many more exciting times ahead. Well, tell me something, just before we let you go, because I'm not going to keep you. I know, as I say, you really were outside melting in the sun all day, so you probably need to go get an IV or something. But um, there are three main news outlets in this city, and I thought it was interesting today, because obviously CHML is celebrating its 90th birthday. The spec is 170. CHCH is 63. That seems to me to be very unusual that in a city you have that kind of longevity, because you know, especially in the media world, Places come, places go. We've seen that here. We've seen other places in Hamilton that have tried to start up and not work. Why have CHML specifically, but why have those three, do you think, been able to last? Well, I think that's a great question. It's very interesting. You know, I would agree with you that those three are the significant um, media news players uh, in the community. All three, I think, have done a great job over the years, and three are very different. The media landscape's evolving and changing every day before eyes, as you know, due to the digital world and, and social media. I think the reality is it's about community and the fact that those three have really covered this city like a blanket, if you will, but also the individuals that Hamilton has attracted to come and work at those three institutions and the class and character of the individuals that have been there. I know specifically the types of people that have come through the doors of CHML, but I also have a working knowledge of those that have you know graced the hallways of the spectator and CHCH as well at least in my two-plus decades in this city. So I think it has a lot to do with the individuals and the characters that uh, have come here to work, and then also the support that the community has given, because at the end of the day, um, you know, radio is a fun, exciting industry to work in, but it's also a business, which means you have to deliver ratings and revenue, and I can tell you that we've been very successful over the years, but that success doesn't come without a lot of hard work, some great people, and of course support um, from the community as well. So those three issues combined, I think that's that's the reason. Because it is talk radio, and people do have opinions, and people do get upset, and we're not going to deny that. There are people who call in angry, or you probably hear from them, who don't agree with something that was said on the air, but they always seem to come back. That they do. They're very loyal. In fact, the old uh, kind of joke around CHML is the fact that for people that have listened to the station for 30-plus years, they have their radios welded to CHML, and they won't turn it which is always music to my ears. But the reality is the platform we have, Scott, which is News Talk Radio, it's all about uh, having a voice and giving an opinion. And if you've seen the transit ads or the billboards in, in Hamilton recently, you mean we have this slogan, you know, your community, your voice. The reality is that's what talk radio gives you. It gives you an outlet to voice your opinion on issues of the day, whether or not it be about, you know, LRT or the scorching heat or how the Tiger Cats played last night, regardless of the issue. You always know that you've got a voice when you come to CHML, and we're going to give you that platform. So I think because of that and the fact that we've been consistent with that with so many years, that's why people keep supporting us the way that they do. I will let you go and wring yourself out and uh, maybe dunk yourself in an ice bath. But uh, listen, I appreciate you extending your day for a few more minutes, Jeff. Thanks for doing it. Absolutely, Scott. Somebody joked with me today. I've went from a lightweight down to a flyweight. So <laughs> it's, been a, uh, it's been an exciting day. Uh, enjoy the uh, rest of the show tonight, Scott, and I appreciate the support. Thanks, and congratulations. It was well done. Thank you. That is uh, Jeff Story, who's the kind of guy who kind of runs it around, runs the place around here. So, And he was down there all day long. Now, the interesting thing is Jeff was down there all day long, and <laughs> Jeff was wearing his dress shirt with a CHML shirt on top, and I, I was actually concerned for his safety at one point because I'm thinking the guy, the poor guy is going to turn into nothing. There's another guy who works at this station, though, and uh, he, he works in promotions, Justin Glover, who used to play football for Mac, who is a big man. He is a he is a gym guy. He's gone from being a big football player to just a big man. And my goodness, he was out in the sun for a lot of the day today, too. And it was like, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. You guys are going to need to cool off at some point or we're going to be losing employees along the way here. But they, they did it. It was a great job. And I, again, I hope that a lot of people had an opportunity to listen to some or part of all those guests that were on throughout the day today because they were really, really terrific. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. As you may or may not know, as you may or may not have 
paid attention to because it's not exactly on its face. It's not exactly the most scintillating thing. We've got people arguing about flags and taking a knee and wars and hurricanes. And so NAFTA may not on its face be the most single, most obviously scintillating thing going on in the world, but a, it's really important and B it actually, some stuff that's going on is, especially with a new survey that has come out, uh, is very interesting because what it says is they've done a survey. Ipsos did a survey in Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. simultaneously, not overlapping. They, they surveyed Canadians, they surveyed Mexicans, they surveyed Americans. Canadians and Mexicans are very heavily in favor of NAFTA. Americans, mm, not so much. 79% of Mexicans say this is a good thing. 74% of Canadians say this is a really good thing. 58% of Americans say this is a good thing. So why might they have those opinions? And what does this renegotiation of NAFTA actually mean? Well, there's only one person we can possibly turn to to talk about this. Uh, that would be Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business. Sir, thanks for doing this tonight. My pleasure, Scott. Before we get into all the details of this stuff, one thing, as I look at these numbers, Marvin, there's one thing that jumps off the page that I cannot help but be struck by. And that is, if I'm reading this correctly, um, we now in this country really feel very good about NAFTA and think it's a really good thing. But I'm thinking back to the mid-1980s when Brian Mulroney was being shredded left, right, and center for trying to push through free trade. In fact, I pulled this up because I read a bunch of stories. A liberal leader, John Turner, in the, in the 1988 election said, quote, I'm not going to let Brian Mulroney destroy the Canadian dream, and that's why this election is more than an election. It's your future. And yet now we seem to love this, and the Liberals are the champions of NAFTA. What has happened? Well, I think a good example here is that is we'll call it NAFTA 1.0 versus NAFTA 2.0. When you ask Canadians today, they have grown comfortable with NAFTA 1.0. They understand it, and they're fearful of what NAFTA 2.0 is all about. So let's keep the devil we know rather than let's negotiate the devil we don't. Back at that time, it was a free trade NAFTA 1.0 versus st- status quo. And again, as consumers, we, we always prefer the status quo. That's what we know. Whenever you propose a change, we don't like change. So I think in this situation, because NAFTA has worked at whatever level it's worked at, and I know there's great variation on opinion in Canada as to how effective NAFTA has been for Canada, but at whatever level it has worked, I'd rather keep the thing I know than negotiate something new. You use the phrase of the devil you know. Um, Is this a devil of a deal, to use a bad example of words, but I mean, is this a deal that when you look at it objectively, is this a deal that has helped Canada or is this a deal that has not helped Canada? Well, we feel, and when I say we, we're talking about economists in general who've analyzed this over time, that this has been a great deal, and it's been a great deal for all three countries. Trade between Canada, Mexico, and the United States has gone up by 400% over the last 23 years. Uh, that's huge. No other combination of countries can boast such a growth rate uh, between them. So it's been very good. Now, I know in Canada, people have seen some manufacturing jobs leak, and they believe most of those jobs leaked to the United States or to Mexico. Uh, it is certainly true that the Mexican economy of the three started at the lowest point, and therefore, even if it gains the same amount, proportionally it seems to have gained more. But the reality is most of the jobs that have been lost over the last 23 years, manufacturing jobs specifically that have been lost in the last 23 years, they've been lost to automation. Um, No one wants to admit that out loud, but it's technology that has cost most of the jobs. It really is not as much that all these jobs have have flown away to Mexico or flown away to the southern United States. So when you take that out of the equation, just trade in general – Things like uh, uh, technology, the telecommunications, aerospace, what have you, we've done very well in the last little while, but we don't want to lose the gains that we've made. So at the risk of, and I don't want to stick on politics on this segment, uh, I do want to talk economics, but with that then, do in retrospect, does Brian Mulroney get a bit of a pass on this compared to what he got back then? Or should we be saying, you know what, maybe it wasn't that far off. Maybe there was something to it. Maybe he got too much hassle for this. Or, or, or do we not say that in retrospect now? 
No, no, I, I, you said a pass. I think I'd actually phrase it as a pat, a pat on the back. Um, he, he correctly realized that for Canada to continue to enjoy the standard of living we've had over the last hundred years, we needed to be more externally focused. We, our companies cannot prosper if all they do is sell to Canadians. We have to get into those world markets. So he, he sort of broke some ground here with first Canada-U.S. free trade and then ultimately Canada-U.S. and Mexico free trade. And that's the same field that we're plowing today when we talk about free trade with Europe free trade with Japan. We have to get out there because if we don't, if we decide to sit on the sidelines, the rest of the world will pass us by and our standard of living as a result will decline. So in practical terms, and we'll, and we'll use company X, uh, because you know what, we hear the, the word free trade and NAFTA all the time. And I got to believe in, I, I, I apologize ahead of time if we are patronizing people, that's not the intent here, but I'm assuming there are some people who don't really understand it maybe as well as they think. So company X makes product whatever. How has free trade potentially benefited or harmed them depending on the kind of things that they make? Well, the big thing about free trade is the elimination of tariffs between between nations. So here's here's just a really simple example. Now, it's not a NAFTA example, but in this new deal we signed with the European Union, which came into effect last Thursday, there was a duty in Europe on Canadian maple syrup of roughly 28%. So I want to sell you a gallon of maple syrup for 100 bucks. The minute you bought it and brought it into Europe, it was sold to the consumers for $128. So the first winner in free trade are consumers. They're able to buy products more cheaply. Now, who could be a loser? Well, if they made maple syrup in Europe, to suddenly have the Canadian maple syrup cheaper, maybe people wanted more of, quote, the authentic maple syrup rather than Germany's version or Holland's version of maple syrup. But all that does is force you then to be a better competitor. And that's one of the things we think uh, free trade has done in Canada. If we're competing against global companies, we've got to be better at our games. We've got to invest more in technology, stay up to date. We can't use these artificial barriers of tariffs and taxes to protect our industries. They've got to be worldwide competitors. And was, and was the original free trade deal across the board, was it everything, anything was able to go back and forth without tariff? <laughs> well, no, not everything and anything, and it also didn't happen immediately. And so uh, in free trade, even in the case of free trade with Europe, some of these get phased in over a multi-year period. That also gives your companies a chance to adjust to the changing playing field. Uh, even today, though, there are some funny, funny little things that consumers don't benefit by. Let me give you another example. So uh, you go on to eBay and you see something you want. Maybe it's a game football that was played on the weekend, uh, whatever, and it's $100. Uh, in Canada, if you bring that in from the United States, if it's over $16, you pay duties, you pay tariffs. Now, as part of NAFTA 2.0, the United States has said that's not right. Uh, they and the United States allows $800 come in through a transaction before any tariffs and duties are applied. So there are plenty of people still paying taxes on American products if you bring it in that way, as opposed to an importer who does it for, uh, for a company or a retailing operation. So, you know, th- these are some of the sticking points that we're coming into today. And, and just to explain why that was, 23 years ago, there was no Internet. There was no eBay. There was no Amazon. You never even thought about buying things that way. What you brought into the country, you bought, brought in over the border, say, on a field trip to the United States. Those limits have changed. You now know that if you're out of the United, uh, me, outside of Canada for a week, you can bring back $800, no problem. So why is it when I have something mailed in, I only get $16 duty-free? These are the things that it's time to freshen up, and I think this is why also in that study you talked about from Ipsos, nearly 60% of Canadians feel it was time to refresh, update the agreement. And even if you do those field trips as you describe it, you still do pay duty. I can't bring in 40 cases of beer across the border just because I bought it in the States. I'm going to pay duty on certain amounts of whatever I bring. Right, exactly. There's still some restrictions, but the idea is to modernize them or, or get them closer to today's standards. Uh, and, and the other thing that happened back 23 years ago, we had a free trade deal with Canada and Mexico, 
but not including that deals were some of our standards around the environmental protections. It was not including uh, labor protections and, and the way we organize labor, what have you. So what we have said in this round of NAFTA 2.0, let's get a broader agreement. Let's touch on more things than strictly duties and trade. Let's cover all of those issues. That's why and I think most of your listeners would know, the third round of NAFTA 2.0 negotiations is coming to an end in Ottawa, comes to an end tomorrow. Uh, There are 28 negotiating teams working separately on 28 different areas within our economy, Uh, and, and that's how broad this one is to make sure that we can get as much as possible into this agreement so we've harmonized and we can get a better flow of goods and a flow of everything, labor otherwise, across our borders. Well, and you, you know, one of the things that has been touched on a lot, it's been talked about in the last couple of weeks a lot, is the idea realistic or not, but the idea of making a bid, the city's going to go up to $500,000 now to bid for the Amazon uh, jobs, the the new plant that is going to come here. And we talked the other day, and one of the things was, could they set up shop here because they may have to pay duty when they move those items back and forth across the border? That could be a deterrent. Well, I, I'm going to split hairs with you here. It could be if they were setting up what we call a logistical center or a fulfillment center. In other words, a place that fulfills the orders that you have. What Amazon is planning to build is an operational headquarters. This is where people are going to be working, using okay. computers, white-collar people. So, for, for instance, I've heard people in this debate here in Hamilton say, well, you know, we've got a great harbor That's just not appropriate for this headquarters. They're not bringing product in and then shipping it out uh, in trucks or something like that. It's a different kind of headquarters. Still a great thing to get. Don't get me wrong. Love to have 50,000 jobs, especially high-paying jobs, sustainable jobs, non-polluting jobs. But the, the value of a harbor is really more for a fulfillment or a logistical center. That's not really the point here. But, again, as you say, if we're looking at this as North America, it probably makes sense to have such a thing in Canada and fulfill orders, say, in northern United States. Right now, that lack of smoothness to get back and forth across the border is a problem. So if the states, now we have heard through the American election that Donald Trump has talked about the NAFTA deal and wanting to renegotiate. If they were to take a very hard line and renegotiate and say, no, we're going to have more tariffs. I don't know if that's what they're actually going after, but if they say we want to protect our companies by making, by putting bigger tariffs on people coming in so that you're going to buy stuff domestically, how how conceivably devastating could that be to certain segments of the Canadian economy? Or do those people just then turn around, do we turn around and say, fine, then you're going to have higher tariffs on yours and we'll buy everything Canadian then? Well, both sides of that coin. So uh, not so much that we'll buy everything Canadian, but we'll sell our products to other people in the world. If you don't want them, we'll go to China, we'll go to Japan, we'll go to the European Union. Uh, But that's not really the tone of these talks. It's not so much that these talks want tariffs. Instead, what Donald Trump is trying to do, and I think this is kind of clever, he doesn't want to throw away free trade, but he wants to establish country of origin limits. So an example in an automobile, right today, we say an automobile should have something like 65% uh, North American content. Now, he would like to take that up maybe to 75% North American content. Hey, we wouldn't have a problem doing that at all. But then he wants to go a step further and say 75% North American content, and within that 75%, at least 45% has to be from the United States. And we go, wait a minute here, wait a minute. And then how do you define what is made in the United States, made in Canada, made in Mexico? So that's the way he's trying to do it, to make sure that the American countries, American companies, excuse me, get, quote, their fair share of the pie. Uh, that's, that's going to be very hard to go through. The car companies themselves have said this is next to impossible to actually work out because, again, given the historical three-party agreement, they've set up their own logistical arrangements for shipping parts back and forth, assembling pieces back and forth to suddenly try to change this and keep a constant tally. Are we at 41% American content, 47% American content? It would be very difficult to do. It's nice in theory, hard to do in practice. Well, you know, once upon a time in the radio world, they had the Canadian content thing, and it was very strange always and difficult to understand what qualified as Canadian content, because you say, oh, well, that's a Canadian singer. Not necessarily. It could have been the producer who was Canadian or the songwriter who was Canadian. It's the same kind of idea. It becomes very difficult to figure out what exactly it makes up that percentage. Um, All right, so I'm going to let you go in just a second here, but last thing then. Your gut feeling then at the end of this thing if 
And we have to assume that Donald Trump, this is one of the things that he built his campaign on. There were a lot of things, but this was one of the things. I am going to make it better for Americans. America first. It's always America first. If he is right, if they take a hard line and they actually do get not maybe everything he said, but get something closer to what he said, if they get that, what does that then mean for us? Does that automatically mean then higher prices on a lot of things for us? No, I don't think I don't think it has to. So uh, again, your premise is maybe I'll say just a little off. Uh, we're, we're negotiating the three parties, and the three parties want what we like to call a win-win-win. That everybody can leave these negotiations and point to some things and say, "I got this, I got this, I got this." America certainly knows what it wants. It is also suggesting it doesn't want to give up anything. That is not how a negotiation works. If, for instance, the United States took a hard line and said, all right, we just want everything and you don't get anything, we're not going to sign the deal. Uh, in in uh, this survey, by the way, it's interesting that even Americans don't think this deal should be ripped up. That's what Donald Trump said. Well, if I don't get a one, I'm going to rip it up. No one thinks the deal should be ripped up. No Canadians, no Mexicans, no Americans. The majority all feel that what we've got is good. They want to see it get to a better place. I should also tell you, tomorrow wraps up the third round of what is to be, at this point, seven rounds. So they've agreed on seven rounds, staggered about every three weeks up till Christmas time. Sooner rather than later, I think around the middle of next month, middle of October, we're going to get a sense if we're moving towards closure, if we're moving to an agreement that all three parties can say, I can live with this, I I can live with it. We didn't get everything, but we got enough that I can live with this, or are we going for a long haul? Remember that the original free trade agreement took the better part of three years to negotiate. This, so far, we've had you know, three rounds, and we've taken six weeks. Six weeks! Even if we take all of this time, we'll have done it in three months. That's really fast. I think it's almost unrealistic to think we can have a deal by Christmas time. But again, it all speaks to the people at the table. If they're people of goodwill, and here's a word that Donald Trump doesn't use very often, and people who are prepared to compromise a little, I think we can get a deal where all of us can point to it and say we have a victory. Not that the victory is that prices will go up. In fact, that Canadian companies will have access to these markets in a deeper way. Yes, some of those companies will have a better access to the Canadian market, and that the consumers ultimately will be the big winner with all the choices. I'm not giving up on that, and I, I really kind of ignore Donald Trump in this. I pay more attention to the negotiators on the ground. Canada and Mexico have some fine people going on there. The Americans have fine people on there, not driven by ideology, but driven by practice. I'm still very hopeful that we'll get a great deal at the end of the day. Marvin Ryder, always love having you on to explain these things. Thanks for the time again tonight. Anytime. Uh, it, one uh, that is, um, if you missed any of that, go back and listen to it, by the way. It'll be on the podcast afterwards, because every time Marvin comes on here, I feel like I need to listen to it a second time, because there's a lot of stuff in there. But one thing that I will point out, and again, I, you know, it, it, it drives some people crazy. It drives all of us crazy. We have people that politically at times, we don't like them very much and everything they do is wrong. And Brian Mulroney had a lot of that and still does in a lot of quarters that Brian Mulroney did not do anything right. Uh, it's just very funny to me that now, 25 years after this free trade deal, Canadians love what he did. Back then, again, go back, there was an election fought over this. John Turner, this was the main point of the 1988 federal election, free trade. This was fought over this. This was the most hated thing that was going on, and now we're okay with this. In fact, we like this. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. I want to bring in someone we haven't had on here in a while. We've meant to. We want to. We like having him on here. Heaven knows he spent enough hours in this building that he should be at home on the air. Uh, our counselor from Ward 2, Jason Farr. J- Jason, how are you tonight? I'm actually at the rink, which I thought you of all hosts wouldn't mind. I'm over at uh, Shadow Twin Pads. Don't mind at all. And, and I, was, I was thinking that today, of all the people, of all the counselors that need to be on this show, it's the one who has spent the most time in this building of anyone else. The best thing, though, for you, though, now, is you don't actually have to get up at like 3 in the morning to get here. You know, Scott, it's still in my system. I is was it? just thinking it this morning. I woke up at 3.45, and I'm wide awake still all those years <laughs> of morning radio. It's the weirdest thing, but I thank heavens for crime fiction. Really cheesy crime fiction. It puts me right back to sleep. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you, um, I know that you were a morning guy because once upon a time you actually called me 
to do a hit, uh, to do a, an interview with something. And it was very, very, very early. It was like five o'clock or I don't even know what time it was. It was exceedingly early. And all I remember is hearing you yelling into my voice, my ear thing, because I had fallen asleep waiting to come on the air because you'd woken me up. So There was another occasion, I recall, where there was a dog barking the whole that, time. Well, that's happened too, yes. And uh, there's birds that chirp sometimes and on and on and on. I'm glad I could uh, participate in your early uh, training, your early breeding ground to be one of the greatest uh, evening hosts of all time. Yeah, I'm not sure how that prepared me to be on in the evenings, to be honest with you, but it's uh, but You're thank you awake. nonetheless. I'm wide awake now, that's true, and now I'm <laughs> awake way late into the night, so it's... Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, if I just spin it a little few more hours, I'm ready to go. Uh, hey, I wanted to bring you on, though, tonight, because uh, in the last few days, we finally got the choice and a little more extensive photos of what is going to be going on at Pier 8 Park. And i got to say this, and I've, I said this on the air the day that it was announced, and i got to say it to your face, or at least to your ear as well. Uh, you know, Councillor, we, we give council crap sometimes when they do stuff that isn't uh, to everyone's liking. I got to give you credit when, yeah, you've heard. I got to give you credit when you do something that's great too, because I think the choice and the design and everything else, this looks like it's going to be great. Well, um, first to your point on the um, critiques, yours and other shows, that's what we signed up for. Uh, in a way, in a sort of yuck yuck kind of way, I was a pundit for many years, so I should know better than most, and, and it's, it's fair game. And, you know, we're human and we make mistakes, too. Most of us, if not all of us, would agree with that, I hope. Um, and I'm glad that guys like you and Bill's good at it, too, um, also call uh, to attention and share with their listeners some of the great stuff. I know some of it today at that special broadcast as well. But um, this is definitely one, and I'm glad to hear it because you've got an eye for these things, and you are definitely a City of Hamilton watcher, Scott. And I think there's a lot of people that are impressed with the decision that this citizen jury made. I, I am, and I'm especially impressed that they did not choose the Jetsons version. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, just saying, true. just saying. It was, I mean, it was lovely for its place. I'm not sure it would have worked here. But when I looked at this, though, and this is the first thing that came to mind, and it's not a critique because, again, I think the design that was chosen was great. Are you confident that it's going to look like this when it's actually built? Because there's often a lot of times when all of a sudden we run into something here or run into something there or a hiccup or a burp or whatever else, and we go, oh, you know what? It can't actually be what we thought it was going to be. Are you confident it's going to look like this? Uh, mostly. Um, you make a good point because, you know, in the renderings we see, there's, if, there's, if there's two areas where I'm very hopeful, one my understanding because i went to the first open house when the six were were made public and each uh proponent had an opportunity to speak to the public and then only the jury minus one or two questions from the public for clarity uh were permitted and i ha i saw the hammer city the, the the design that was approved that we're speaking of now and i thought about that little piece on the corner where the north Pier meets the East Face Pier, and there's like the water um, uh, piece that looks like you're digging a hole in the middle of the pier to actually dig down to the water. Obviously, uh, that's not quite what's happening, but that kind of amenity may take extra dollars, may be harder to do from an engineering standpoint, given that we are dealing with infill land here. And then there was another piece that I would wonder about, and I may ask about, because you're asking a very good question that shows sort of a, what would you call them? They're like fjords. Uh, on, on the east face here, you see an, a, another water amenity that goes right into where we have a road uh, for the future, um, obviously, commercial residential component of this uh, major pier aid project. And, I, and, and they did say, and this is what I do recall, while we put this amenity, they pointed it out, this water amenity over on that east shore, in place that is not a budgeted concept so don't judge us basically and we're not being judged overall on that we just think that would work well aesthetically when you get to your residential and your commercial design so they were upfront about that uh, otherwise it's it's definitely doable i mean i've been around uh, the number of park redevelopments smaller obviously in, in the downtown core we've done a lot actually in the last seven years uh and you know, in a lot of cases, most of all of the cases were stakeholder driven. So people that live in the area were at the table early and their dreams became reality. So so when I look at this one, I say, yeah, you can do a rounded type steel boat looking barrier for the beach uh, section and, and the same over there at the, the natural rest area. And 
it's actually it's simplicity in a way that makes it, in my mind, most of the components very doable. I'm sure. And in fact, given the price tag, six point five million, damn well better. Huh. Well, and and that's just the start. I mean, there are other parts that are going on, and I, I actually think there's a little bit of confusion on this one. And I heard this from a number of people. The construction of what they're going to be doing, because I've read that shovels are supposedly going to be in the ground next year at some point. Now, before yeah. I get to the confusion, is that accurate? Can there be shovels in the ground that quickly? Absolutely, and and at this and and I'm and this is these are the areas over the course of my last few years listening to your program that you find cause for consternation. It's one of the areas when you do uh, highlight some of the issues you may have with the elected officials. Uh, but I can definitively tell you and confidently tell you that this is a park promenade planned for shovel in the ground spring 2018. And there's a reason for it, Scott. And that's, you know, and the main reason is we have the budget already approved and in place. So that makes it a hell of a lot easier, obviously, number one. Number two, this is an amenity that once built with over, over a year, maybe a year and a little bit, you never want to say definitively the, the uh, window. It's, it's a selling feature. I mm. mean, obviously, we're dealing with, on a residential commercial development, mostly residential, up to 1,500 or so uh, res- new residential units, we're talking about some prime Hamilton real estate, the prime Hamilton sector, real estate sector. And so talk about adding to the value or the price point once that consortium or that individual or whomever it may be that is eventually going to be the winner of the RFP and do full build out of those nine little nine big precincts. Talk about an advantage on a selling feature to be able to say, and look what you have surrounding between you and the water. Uh, a promenade that most cities would be the envy of most cities, to be sure. And that's the confusion that I was going to raise, is that I, I've heard from a lot of people there's a lack. I, I don't think people understand yet, and i got to be honest, that I had to look it up twice. What they're talking about, shovels in the ground next year, is not the condos or the apartments. No, this is the park the only. That's the park we're talking about now. The winning park will begin construction on the winning park, 30 meters wide, about four acres of new park for the whole city and everyone else to enjoy uh, beginning the project beginning in the spring. And with that, and one of the other good reasons um, behind this spring 2018 start, which is literally just around the corner, we got one more hockey season to go and we're going to get moving on this is there's shoreline improvements that need to be done in the area. All the engineering's done. We know the work we need to do. You've already seen Scott uh, along discovery drive uh, shoreline improvements that we've done and put a little parkette in place as well between Guy Street and Williams. A lot of people have probably enjoyed that sample of what's happening all along the shoreline. A lot of that is in place. That aesthetic thing that you see was part of a bigger engineering project. We knew and know that all along Pier 8 and all the way through to Pier 5, we need to make those shoreline improvements. We've had lake flooding. We've had other issues over the years and more recently. Uh, we have basically... Uh, a multi-million dollar budget that doesn't just address those pretty things you're looking at, but addresses long-term visioning on what the durability and and addresses an aged, an aged frankly, current shoreline. I hate to even raise this, but I'm going to, just because it fits. Um, when you see something like this, you see these images and you see what it could look like down there. Does the Word stadium ever cross your mind, wondering what if we'd actually had the stadium down in that West Harbor area? Actually, the word pumpkin spice is more <laughs> fitting because the developers who come along to build out Tier 8 are going to have the spice to go with the pumpkin. Uh, uh, I don't think I, I, I don't, it doesn't cross my mind from time to time. Obviously, that's, you're referring to just a little westward in, in sure. the Tiffany land. But in that area, it, it would have been a, big, a broader area redevelopment. Are you, tell, are you asking me would a stadium, stadium have been great to go along with all these wonderful investments? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I want to 
open the lid on that <laughs> pumpkin for just a little bit of no, spice. No, I mean I, I understand. Fair <laughs> enough. It just as, as I was watch as I was looking at this over the last few days, and then I I actually did go to Google Maps just to get a you know a better sense because you can't really I don't have a drone sure. I can't fly overhead. Um, and and I looked and I went, you know, we don't want to open that as you say that can of worms again. But boy, it looks like there was an opportunity again that when you see something that looks this appealing, mm-hmm. boy. Uh, and okay, and, and I, I Scott, understand. And Scott Mitchell, as you know, wearing your sports hat, was one of three who had a say, representing the Tie Cats, our prime tenant, and he didn't like Barton Tiffany. Prior yeah. to my time, I might add. Yes, fair uh, enough. But but that the, all three uh, all, all three who had a say, according to Host Co. at the time, who were bringing us the Pan Am Games, had to agree on a location, and it was Scott Mitchell, not Council, that did not like Barton and Tiffany. Maybe if they'd seen this picture earlier. Perhaps. <laughs> and, you know, there's a lot of other things I thought of over the years. I don't know why we're talking about but the way you can ingress, egress, getting people in and out. I mean, there's a lot of parallels to that particular neighborhood that you have already in the uh, Central Ward 3 neighborhood where the stadium now exists. You know, the comings and going, all those things, parking, all those things, mm-hmm. you can get creative and there are solutions. And, it, and look, from a downtown council perspective, I'm not saying one way or the other. It wasn't part of my vote as in, in my reign sure. here as a uh, councillor, but there was a lot of positives, including the economic development spinoff, right? The, the, the restaurants were going to do better on game nights, no doubt about it, or special events nights, no about it. On the other hand, I would have also been involved in a debate on what kind of community impacts, noise and cars and air pollution and those sorts of things. There, fair enough. Yeah. I will, I will leave that with there. I got one more thing to ask you, though, before I let you sure. go. Uh, sure. You... At council chambers, around the council table, you right now sit at a safe distance from both Councillor Partridge and Councillor Skelly, <laughs> who have decided they're going to face off against each other in this uh, upcoming provincial election. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is going to be a little bit interesting. What, what, what do you expect, if anything, will happen around the council chamber when you actually have two people who are not, I mean, I'm not going to say they're not paying attention to their city responsibilities, but who have another thing going on as well. Is this going to be high entertainment or is this going to be highly overrated as far as what's going to happen in your mind? I, well, for the local political observers such as yourself, I think there will be some entertainment value, no doubt about it. Um, they're at a safe distance from each other as well. That's like that. true. The one's on one side of the host, <laughs> the other. They are directly across from one another. I don't think they'll work any less harder at all. In fact, I would suggest they would be, they're, they're both savvy enough to work even harder because they do realize, especially, you know, Councillor Skelly and Partridge, when you consider they both have media backgrounds as well, they know the spotlight's on them. Uh, Andrew did an interesting piece that talked about how entertaining this could possibly be just the other day, I think. And I agree. Um, but they'll also, I think, when they present uh, uh, whatever issues they're presenting, whether they agree or disagree, they'll be a little bit more oomph than usual uh, because they know that the eyes of uh, those interested are going to be on them. And, and there, there's going to be scrutiny for sure. They put themselves out there, obviously. You ever think of running for higher office? I'm thinking about opening up a Subway Subs in Burlington, Vermont at this point. You know what? That's, that's, uh, that, that would probably be very lucrative, right outside Newhart's Hotel. And, and I'm going to sell pumpkin spice lattes. Okay, before yeah. we let you go then. i got enough going on here. I really love what I'm doing, and I'm quite honored, as you know. Before we let you go, we're going to put you down on one side or the other. Are you a pumpkin spice fan or a pumpkin spice hater? I'm a fan for sure. And you know what, though? It's, it's, these things are only for a limited time for a reason. Because after so many, maybe six <laughs> in a season, you don't want them anymore. I don't know why, because I love the six, but when I it's when it comes time for the seventh, it's like the uh, Shamrock Shake. There's a limit. <laughs> That's true. That's exactly <laughs> right. Yes, uh, Councillor Jason Farr of Ward Two. I uh, appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it too, Scott. Love the show. Thanks. Uh, we will be having you back on again for sure. Thanks for doing this. Um, if you have not, and I can't stress this enough because, again, uh, we do like to be fair here. I mean, really, we do. And we do criticize council at times for things. But when they do something, when the city does something right, it is only appropriate and only fair then to give them the pat on the back that they deserve. And I, if you have not gone and looked at the photos, you can see them online all over the place. Go look at the photos of what this new promenade, it's it's the park around Pier 8. Go take a look. I think, I think you will probably share the view that a lot of people have that whether this was your particular choice, if you had looked at all the other ones, 
is secondary to the fact that at least it's going to look really nice. It's going to be clean. It's going to be something to look at. It's going to be something that is way better than what's there now, for sure. And maybe one of the things that if all goes well, and this is what I'm hoping for out of this, if all goes well, next time, for whatever reason, whether it's the Ticats, whether it's a news story, whatever, next time some TV crew from Canada, from around the world, wherever, comes to Hamilton, maybe this, once it's fixed, maybe this is one of the shots we get now rather than belching steel mills. Look, steel mills are wonderful. They have done amazing things for the the finances, for the economy of this city for many, many years. No one's dumping on steel mills. They're just not necessarily the most beautiful thing to be aesthetically representing our city. Every time we show up on TV in some other city across this country, it's always steel mill, steel mill, steel mill. If this thing goes really well, if this park actually ends up looking Pier 8 like it does in the pictures, maybe now we get another thing that someone might want to show to the rest of the country that doesn't make us just look like Smokestackville, which would be nice, which would be really nice. If you remember back in the day when we had the World Cycling Championships here, it was one of those times when because of the path of the World Cycling Championships, whether you were a fan of that or not, We had some of the most unbelievable shots of this city beamed around the world that showed very little in the way of smokestacks. Let's hope this can be another one of those things. We give enough alternatives that when people do show Hamilton to Canada, when they do show Hamilton to North America or the world, that we have other options. People go, hey, you know what? That's, That's a pretty good looking place. I would love that if this becomes one of those things. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. I have been seeing, with some regularity now, something popping up around this town, and it's kind of cool. In fact, it's really cool, and it's really very basic. In fact, it's exceedingly basic, which is probably what makes it stand out even more now. Uh, It's people wearing a t-shirt that says, Hamilton is home. There are other models as well, but the main one, Hamilton is home. And I look at this and I go, that is, I got to get one of those. And I haven't yet, but I'm going to find out how in just a couple of minutes. Because the man who's behind this, Max Francis, who is the head of, he runs True Hamiltonian. That's the name of the company. He joins me now. Max, thanks for doing this tonight. I'm super happy to be here. Hey, how did you come up with this idea? Because it seems incredibly simple, but I know that nothing that looks really, really simple ever really is. You know what? You're exactly right. We actually went through about five or six different versions before I came up with Hamilton's Home. Like, uh, do, you, do you want to tell it, me what some of the other ones were? <laughs> what sure, we might have it, seen? It, sorry, go ahead. No, what some of the other ones were that we might have seen had you not come to Hamilton is Home? Uh, it started with I Heart Hamilton, which is a total ripoff of I Heart New York. So <laughs> I, I, I couldn't use that. And then uh, it went to Proud Hamiltonian. And uh, some of the ones were like Hamilton, Hamilton, as you can guess what the rest of that is. Uh, so eventually, I wanted something really simple, but also something that I could, I'd be proud to wear in front of my daughter, who's like six years old. So uh, Hamilton is home. It just fit. It sounded right. It it felt right. It was just the right one. Was it aha when you said it for the first time? Did you go, yes, that's it? Immediately, one I know. Million percent. It was 100% an aha moment. And so now, you said, you know, obviously we know the I Love New York, and we've seen that one before, but were there others that you were kind of, come, that had gener- or spawned this idea, or was it just, like, what led you to have the idea, to, that you wanted to make a t-shirt that would have something Hamiltonian on it? You know what it was? There was a guy in Hamilton called Russell Gibbs, and he made those t-shirts that said, you can do anything in Hamilton. Okay. And I wanted to buy one of those shirts, and uh, I just remember thinking, you know what, I really like this shirt, it's an awesome shirt, but it doesn't really say the way I feel about Hamilton. Like, it was it was a cool shirt, it just didn't express my feelings for the city. So, uh, I met another guy named Peter Sordo, and he had these uh, Hamilton shirts with the Hamilton skyline, and those were super cool, and I liked those, but it also didn't express exactly the way I felt about the city. So I wanted to make one that said, basically expressed my feelings for Hamilton. 
Are you a Hamiltonian born and raised, or did you move here? No, 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 I am not. And you know what? I get a lot of flack for that. I didn't realize that you had to be born in Hamilton to love the city. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've heard that too. Now, where, where did you grow up? Uh, I'm from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah. so, so you're, you're far afield then. I mean, you, yeah. came, you came from yeah. a long, how long have you been here? I've been here for 24 years. So you're a Hamiltonian. Come on. Exactly. The funny thing is a lot of the kids that uh, give me flack for not being from Hamilton are younger than uh, the amount of years I've been here. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, so just before we get into all this, how did you end up in Hamilton then? Oh, man, that's a, that's an hour-long story all by itself. Uh, it usually involves a woman, though. <laughs> <laughs> what a shock. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you end up in Hamilton. Did you know anything about this city before you got here, other than she was from here? No, absolutely nothing. In fact, I honestly thought there would be igloos. <laughs> I really did. And when you got here, and on, I mean, look, you're, you've been here 24 years, and you obviously decided you loved the place and you wanted to make this your home. So regardless of what else happened in the meantime is irrelevant. But when you first got here, did you have the same love for the city you do now, or did it take a little while to really take to the place? It took a little while. I was, uh, I was cold. I remember being cold all the time. And I remember uh, just thinking it was different, and I remember just trying to adjust. Uh, but the people here, man, they are amazing. I just remember how honest and straightforward, no one, there was not really a lot of BS. I find that in Florida, a lot of people will BS you, and then I found here that people were just straightforward. If they had an issue with you, they would just like come right up and be like, hey, dude, I don't like your face or whatever it is. Like, <laughs> they were straightforward, and I really like that. I like that culture of um, just being straightforward about who you are and what you want. I, I, That's how I would like to live my life, so that appealed to me. Hopefully not too many said they don't like your face. <laughs> <laughs> that, that probably would have, you know, you get too many of those, and you start to have a different feeling about a place, to be honest. It, but. It, so you so you come up with the idea then. So you've got the now you've got Hamilton is home. The idea has you know you're going to build a shirt. You've got the name or the motto that's that's seems like it's exactly right. How do you come up? Because here's the thing that stands out to me about the shirt. It feels to me, and I, and I hope this is not insulting, but anyone who's seen this one, when I first saw the very first one, it reminded me of a throwback 1970s summer camp T-shirt. Which yeah. was kind of, it's so simple. It's just block letters on a solid color, and that is a good thing. Like, it, it's not anything, it's just, it's simple, it's right there. You can't help but see the name and the words, and you go, huh, all right. Yeah. Well, how did that come? Because you must have played around with designs, too. Okay. Uh, Hamilton's Home, the saying, I, basically, I came up with that, and when it came time to lay it out, it was just laid out straight across. Uh, Hamilton is, and then home, just flat across. And a uh, buddy of mine, David Ruiz, who does uh, graphic design, he said he said to me, he's like, listen, dude, I don't like the way it looks. I don't like the way you laid it out. He's like, give me a day or two. I'm going to play around with it and see what we come up with. And he came up with the arching of the letters, like arching of the Hamilton. Yeah, yeah the curving and, uh, of Hamilton, yeah. Yep, yep. And then he uh, picked out a font that was perfect for for the way it is now. And uh, basically what, what he was saying is anything that's going to last a long time has to look like it was effortless. The more effortless it looks, mm. the harder it is to do. Yeah, so, all right, all right. Because it does. It looks like, I mean, again, this is in no way an insult. I love the thing, but it looks like you sat down and in five seconds threw this thing together. Which and is which is the beauty of it? Yep, that's the beauty of it. I've actually had uh, graphic artists and other people tell me that they're pissed that they didn't come up with it first. <laughs> so. But did you? Okay, so when it is this simple, though, did yep. you sit there and when you made the first run of shirts, did you say, "Ah, is anyone really going to buy these things?" Though, because they are so simple. You know, the thing is, it was never supposed to be a business. Uh, what I wanted to do was, I wanted to make a bunch of shirts for myself and my friends. And I wanted it to be like, you know, it's our thing. Like, we'd go out to bars and just wear the shirt. It was like our cool little shirt. 
But everywhere we went, people would ask, hey, can you make me one or can can I get one or can I buy one off you? And I'm like, no, 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 it's not for sale. It's just, it's our shirts. And uh, everyone kept asking for the shirts. So eventually it became this thing where I started making it for friends and family and other people. And it just kept going and kept going. And it ultimately it reached a point where I had to quit my day job and start doing it full time. What was your day job? I worked for an engineering company in Burlington called Adotech Canada for 13 years. And th- and this was this was creating enough buzz and enough business that you could step away from that to do this full time. Yes. Wow. 1 million percent, yeah. Wow. How, how long ago by the way did you create the first one? Uh that was about 5 years ago now. Cuz I see I mean I see them all over the place now. I mean you when you when you're around if you have your eyes open you see these all the time but I Yeah. So when, how fast after was it that people started really bugging you that you decided, uh, you know, maybe I should do this for a while? For no, a... The first year it was just me and my buddies wearing the t-shirt and like we would go to bars and bartenders would ask us for it or DJs would ask us for it. But after the first year, once all those people started wearing it, then their friends started asking and it just, it became this thing where I was constantly getting texts or phone calls. Hey, my cousin wants one or my brother wants one. And it didn't really, like, most people haven't noticed it until the last year or two years. That's when I, two years ago is when I started doing it full time. So that's when you really notice an explosion in the amount of t-shirts out there. But before that, it was just pretty much word of mouth because I didn't have a storefront. I didn't have a website. It was just, you either knew me and got a shirt or you just saw people wearing them and you had no idea where to get them from. And what was the first one, by the way? I know what the what the uh, model was, but was the first one the black with the yellow type? No, the first one was the uh, black with the gray writing. Okay. All right. And then, yeah. because now there's black, not only are there different colors and different letters, colors, and everything else, but you also have different languages now for people who come here. They can get it in a different language. Uh, that started with Canada's 150th uh anniversary um when i first moved here uh being being from somewhere else there are different customs that you're not aware of uh, i didn't realize that croatian and serbians are completely different cultures like <laughs> i didn't realize that like maybe polish polish guys didn't get along with serbia i didn't know all these little intricacies and i learned it very quickly like that everyone's really proud of their heritage and they may not get along with other people from other countries or whatever right but I made friends with everyone, and I would go to their house, and 90% of the time their parents or grandparents didn't speak English. So it's either your Croatian friend with his Croatian grandparents or Serbian friends with their grandparents or whatever, but everyone had a story. Everyone was from somewhere else. So I thought a really cool thing to do is uh, make Hamilton his home in all the different languages that represent Hamilton, right? So that way... Uh, if a buddy's Italian, he could get his uh, Italian grandfather Hamilton his home shirt in Italian. Yeah, I love I love the German one. I, I married a German girl, so I, you know I love the German one. But and now and again, I mean it is a it is a business that is branching. You got tank tops, you got hoodies, you have different color things. It is it's amazing. And the uh, the news and I don't know when it when it was officially made official, uh, but now you're selling it in the Mac store as well, which is, that cannot hurt when suddenly you've got the 30,000 students or whatever it is who are walking by seeing these things. They literally message me every week. They're running out like, as fast as I can stock it there, they're selling out of them. It's insane. Really? Well, and and yeah. so it's been there for a while then? Uh, it's been there about a month. How many of these things overall, I don't know if you can tell me, but how many of these things overall have you sold? You know what's funny? Everyone asks me that. Um, it's it's got to be pretty high. I, I honestly, I have no idea. It's a lot. There's a lot of people wearing those shirts. Is there? Uh, so go ahead. I would say um, my ultimate goal. Uh, I think the population of Hamilton is right around seven hundred thousand people. So you don't want seven hundred thousand people wearing the same shirt. So let's say one out of seven. So our goal is one out of seven Hamiltonians wearing the shirt. That's not bad. That's all right. That's, that's a good goal, right? That is a great goal. Now, the 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 risk, I suppose, uh, and I don't know if it's a risk. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. You're the business guy, but it seems to me that this has such a unique feel because it's so basic and so easily recognizable that do you run the risk if you start to get really fancy with this stuff that it loses something or 
does the do the words stand up enough that you could do this in script on tie dye or whatever, and it's still going to fly just the same? That's a great question. Um, you know what? Legitimately, uh, I feel like everything has a lifespan. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, the Nike Just Do It shirts were really popular. I had one. All my friends had one. Now you couldn't pay someone to wear one of those shirts. So I look at it this way. Uh, it's an adventure. We are on this really cool journey right now. And at some point, maybe people will be completely sick of these shirts and never want to see another one. And hopefully we get to go on another adventure, do something even cooler. So I, I'm, I'm, I, everything to me is an adventure. So right now, this is part of my adventure. And if it changes at some point, then I am more than open to starting a new adventure. Well, let's just hope it never becomes this day's Frankie Says Relax shirt. <laughs> oh, my dear God. <laughs> that would that would not be a good way to go out in a blaze of glory. But uh, where could... Okay, so, uh, Max, if people are interested, and they should be, they should go look at these. And, and you also have another one that's got crossing hammers with... Um, with TH, which is True Hamiltonian. Yeah, that's uh, our company logo, yes. They can also buy those. But if they are interested in getting something, in looking at them and buying one for someone else, where, where can they go and get these things? At McMaster, obviously, but where else? They can go to the McMaster store. They can go to either of our locations, 186 Ottawa Street North, 249 King Street East. You can also buy shirts at the stadium, Ticap Stadium, shop ticap.ca. Uh, the Bulldogs have their own version of our shirt, so you can get that at the arena or on their website, or you can go to our website, truehamiltonian.ca. Uh, you know what? I love them. It's a great, uh, it's a great look. And, and again, I, the, the thing that strikes me about this that's so cool about this is it's, as we talked about, so simple looking. It looks like you didn't put any effort into this at all, which is what I like about it. And I know you did, but it's just it, it's, it's so basic that you go, well, as you say, why didn't I think of that one? Yeah. There you go. Exactly. It's uh, Thank great. Thank you so much for having me. Honestly, this was great. Huge shout out to McMaster University. I'm really, really glad I got the chance to work with uh, Sean Small and his entire department, the athletic department over there. They've been fantastic. Well, go take a look. Christmas is coming. We're only about 90 shopping days away from Christmas. TrueHamiltonian.ca. And it's in various languages. So if you need one for your great grandfather who is Croatian, there's an answer for you there. If you're thinking, what do I get for the man who speaks Croatian? Well, there you go. Max Francis, thanks for the time tonight. Appreciate you doing this. Thank you for having me. Uh, TrueHamiltonian.ca. Go take a look because they really are very simple, but they really are very cool. And now I know where to find one because I've been seeing them around. I'm going, i got to get one of those myself, and I never knew where to look. So now I do. Uh, TrueHamiltonian.ca if you're interested. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900, AM 900, CHML.